Have a great time, kiddos. The rest of you that are staying will be in the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be looking at verses 17 through 20. If you're a first-time guest with us, first, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us, and we're walking through the book of Matthew um, week by week. Um, We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus' extended sermon. This is um, coming after him being blessed, being baptized by John, being blessed by the Father, and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, being tempted um, in the wilderness immediately following this, and then seeing him go throughout the countryside and healing and teaching the kingdom of God and calling people to repent. And then we see this space in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus on the hillside, crowds of people around him, and explaining his ministry, explaining why he has come, laying out for them what the kingdom of heaven is all about, what it looks like for those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus coming in this time and and in many ways turning everything on its head in this sermon. Saying everything you kind of thought you believed about me, about the law, about how to act, about how to live, about how to treat one another, about how to pray, about how to fast, about all of those things, I am coming to give you fuller, deeper picture of all that that is. And this morning we'll be looking at the law and looking at kind of Jesus' introduction, if you will, to the next several sections of this this passage of setting up specific laws and how do we respond to specific laws and anger and in lust and, and all of those kinds of things. How do we actually respond to that? What does the law actually have to say about that? What is its meaning in that? And this morning's passage comes on the heels of the Beatitudes, the beginning of chapter 5, the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And turning that from the blessings into being salt and light. And that's the the foundation of Jesus' sermon in chapters 5 through 7. That you are blessed by God. Your relationship with God is a sign of his blessing. Your blessing and relationship go hand to hand. That it's not about material things, about material comforts. It's not about doing things and getting things. It is about God setting his blessing on you in a relationship with you by his grace. And then because of that blessing, living an empowered life. And so Jesus goes from the blessing and then immediately goes to salt and light, living your life outwardly so the world sees that you have been blessed by God. And so in this passage of Scripture this morning, we see Jesus kind of setting up for what's coming next. Because I think Jesus, at the beginning of this section in in, in chapter 5, in the Beatitudes and in being salt and light, I can only imagine Jesus kind of reading the room and seeing people's response to being blessed and being salt and light and how they were wanting to respond to that and Jesus setting up more clearly, more perfectly, the response to the blessing that he has placed on them. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Matthew recording here by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the words of Jesus. Just Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray one more time together, if we could. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the power of your word, Jesus. We thank you for your words that lead us and guide us. We pray that your spirit would actively be working in our hearts and connecting your words to our hearts to change us this morning. We submit joyfully to you that you would change us um, to the likeness of you, Jesus. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, one of my favorite days of school was when a substitute teacher was there. Because I knew on that day, I was not going to get anything done except to do whatever I could to give that substitute teacher a really difficult day. That was me growing up. I loved those times in that. I, it all come back to bite me. I'm a teacher by trade. I've substituted over the years. The good thing about that is I know all the tricks because I pulled all the tricks. The bad thing about that is I see myself in students sometimes when I was substituting. For me, when I would do, some of those kind of two responses that show up. My response was, we get to do anything we want today. All the rules are out the window. Everything is gone. We determine the rules. The kids are in charge. This teacher doesn't know what's going on. All day long, I get to say, well, our real teacher doesn't do it this way. Our real teacher gets to do it this way. And we get to have fun all day long. We don't get to do anything. There's probably a movie involved during the day, whatever it happens to be. That was my response to that. There were other kids whose response to that was threatened by that, not because they would get away with everything, but because the rules were not going to be followed on that day. And that drove them crazy that the rules were not going to be followed on that day. That the teacher doesn't know what they're doing. This is how we do this. This is how we line up for this. This is what we're supposed to say on this. We're actually on this page here. This is how our teacher teaches this. This is the way that she does that. There are all kinds of different responses, kind of two main responses there. One of us, when substitutes come, love it because everything is free. We get to do whatever we want. Some of us hate it because the rules feel like they're going out the window, and I need to establish this is what the rules are. And I can see by your smiles, you know exactly who you are in that class. Some of you love the rules, and you love to say, teacher, teacher, you forgot to do homework. We were supposed to have a test today. She told us we were having a quiz yesterday. Where is the quiz? Some of us go into the classroom and say, we've never been tested ever. Tests don't happen in this class. I don't even know what you're talking about. We usually have recess from 9 to about 2.15, and then lunch, and we go home. That's kind of what our day usually looks like here. Well, as we look through this passage of Scripture, I want us to kind of see that similar response to kind of Jesus coming on the scene. Jesus stepping into this time, Jesus kind of making himself known. But what I want to see in this very clearly is that Jesus is not a substitute teacher. Jesus is not standing in the place of the real thing. And Jesus is not coming as just another religious leader with more rules to follow. And Jesus is not either this radical political or spiritual leader who's coming to start a rebellion to just say, live however you want to live. Jesus is no mere substitute. Jesus is not coming to lower the standards and bide the time until the real teacher comes. Jesus is actually coming to heighten the standards to give us a fuller picture of this. He's not making any changes He's not bringing any new innovations. Jesus is coming in this passage and making clear what was unclear. 
pushing away the mist and the shadow to say this is what it was all pointing to all along. So for hundreds and thousands of years, people have been waiting for this moment, have been given the law, have been given the prophets, have been given a way to live, but was falling short, did not exactly live up to what it needed to live up to. That the law was good. The law is what we need for us. The law is good for some things to show me that I need a Savior, to show me the heart of God. But the law is insufficient to rescue me. It's insufficient to save me. So you'll see in your notes, little kind of summary of where we're going today in this, several questions about how do we do this? How do we view the law of God? How do we as followers of Jesus follow or respond to the commandments of God? How do we as those saved by grace through faith live with the law? Do I ignore it? Is it outdated? Is it irrelevant? Do I just throw it to the side? Do I hold tighter to it as a scorecard or as a means of control in my life? Or do I see God's law as a way to demonstrate my need for a law keeper, thankfulness for the blessing, and as a way to demonstrate God's love to other people? This morning, we're going to look at three things from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We're going to look at Jesus' authority, who gave the law, why it matters that this person gave the law. We're going to look at Jesus' accomplishment, what was its purpose, how was it accomplished. And finally, we're going to look at our attitude. How do we respond to Jesus' authority and to his accomplishment? Let's look first, number one. Christ fulfills through his authority. Christ fulfills through his authority. As we look through this passage again, I'm not going to read it again, but we look through these verses again. Look with me. There's several things about this passage that Jesus says that that aren't normal for a regular teacher to say, that are are fairly bold, are fairly kind of out there, are fairly kind of outrageous if you're just a regular teacher to say some of the things that Jesus says. At the very beginning of this, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Who says that? Normal teachers don't come out and say, if you thought I was going to abolish the law, I'm not. People say, nobody was thinking that. But Jesus, in his authority, comes to the forefront and says, if I wanted to, as the lawgiver, I could set it aside. If I wanted to, as the lawgiver, I could say, here is a new set of laws for you. But I'm not coming to do that. I'm actually coming to fulfill, to bring to this fullest, everything that I've set up. We see in this passage again, Jesus says, "Um, I say to you. We see in verses 19 and 20, Jesus is setting up placement in the kingdom of heaven. And not just placement in the kingdom of heaven about who goes where in the kingdom of heaven, but who even gets into the kingdom of heaven. Again, who says that? Normal teachers don't say that. It would be wrong and and very dangerous if I got up here and said, you're in the kingdom of heaven, you're not, you're fourth place, you're high, you're great, you're least, you're not getting in. It would be unbelievably arrogant of me to stand up for anyone to be able to do that. But what does Jesus do without hesitation? Jesus says, I am determining who's in the kingdom of heaven. I am the one who is setting this up. I am the one who has set up the law. I am the one who determines all of these things because I am the authority. As we go through the next verses in in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says something again that, that just flies in the face of any other teacher. 
What do we see in the Old Testament when a prophet comes and says something from God? The, the, the thing they say over and over again is, thus says the Lord. Like, God gave this to me. God says this. I'm giving this to you. What does Jesus say in the next several verses? We'll see week in, week in and week out. He goes over and over again. You'll see this. You have heard, but I say to you, this is how you are to act. You have heard, but I say to you, this is what your heart is to look like. If I were to come and say, you've heard this, but I'm saying something different to you, I'm saying something fuller to you, take pause really quickly. Have a conversation with me after church and say, you probably shouldn't have that level of authority with the things that you're saying. But who can say, thus says the Lord? The Lord can say, thus says the Lord. Who can speak for God? God can speak for God. And so it's incredible that Jesus is coming and saying, you have heard, the law has said this, the prophets have said this, you've heard over and over again, thus says the Lord. And then Jesus comes and says, I say to you. Because he has a great authority over all of us. And we see at the end of Matthew chapter 7, after all of this is done, after the Sermon on the Mount is done, Matthew 7, 28 and 29, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had, had authority and not as their scribes. The crowds recognized, everyone recognized, this Jesus is teaching in a way, proclaiming things that nobody else has done before. But the words that he is saying are the very words of God. Jesus has authority. And so when we look at the law and we look at the commandments of God and we look at in Scripture, when Scripture is telling us to do a thing or to be a thing, we need to understand where that's coming from. That Jesus has authority. He has the right over our lives. He has the right to tell us what to do and not to do, how to live our lives, how to interpret the law, how to live it out in our lives. Jesus has that authority. Why does he have that authority? How does he have that authority? Because he is the lawgiver. It is his. It is from his heart that the law comes to us. The commandments come to us from Jesus. And so because he has given us the law, he has authority over the law. He is the one who determines it. He is the one who says this is the way you are to interpret it and to respond to it because he is the law giver. Isaiah 33 verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. James chapter 4 and verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James is saying here, you have no right to have any authority over anybody's heart, over anybody's life. Jesus alone has that authority over the hearts of men and women. Because he is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He is the one that can save and the one that can destroy. As I read through this passage of Scripture and I just see it just kind of screaming at me that Jesus is the authority here, that he says what he wants to say, that we must give attention to that. The question that I ask my own heart is, do I see Jesus as the supreme authority in my life? Do I look to him to show me how to believe and how I live? Do I willingly submit to his authority in my life? Or do I find myself battling against the authority of Christ in my life day in and day out? Am I willingly, joyfully saying, yes, Jesus, wherever you have me go, I will go. Whatever you have me do, I will do. You are the authority in my life. You are the one who determines this, not me. 
The world does not determine our path. My heart does definitely not determine my path. The culture does not determine my path. My gender, my job, my race, my politicians, my country, my spouse, none of those things have control over my life. None of those things determine my path. When we read passages of Scripture like that, our right response to this is that everything in my life needs to submit to Jesus. Every decision I make, every path that I go down, I must give deference to Jesus, point to Jesus, bow to the authority of Jesus in my life. Now, it sounds easy, right? In theory, that's the right thing to do, right? Practically, we fight that with everything in our being, do we not? Practically, day in and day out, it is a battle for us to submit joyfully, willfully to the presence of Jesus in our lives. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, there's things I want to do, I don't do those things. There's things I don't want to do, I do those things. There's a battle going on in our heart every single day for us to say yes to Jesus and no to self and no to anything that comes in combat with Jesus. The reality is in our own hearts, we want to do our own things. We read the book of Judges. How does the book of Judges end? Everybody was doing right in their own eyes. I don't know that much has changed since the book of Judges. I think we can look at our world today and at the end of our world today and write the same sentence. Everybody was doing right in their own eyes. But the authority of Jesus is not prevalent in our world today. And some of that is because the authority of Jesus is not prevalent in my own heart today. That I'm not willfully submitting to Jesus. I'm not saying your words are more powerful. You are the lawgiver. You are the judge in my life. Proverbs 14, 12. Solomon tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's in its way to death. That in our own hearts, in our own culture, in our own decisions, the way leads to death. But Jesus reigns. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the lawgiver. He is the authority in our lives. Jesus, I think, needs to say more and more to my own heart, you say something, but I say this. You have heard in your own heart these things said, but Jesus comes and needs to say over and over again, but I say to you, and my response needs to be, yes, Jesus, whatever you say, wherever you go, in all of those things. We see that what makes Jesus' authority different from everybody else's, I think some of the reason we buck up against authority in our lives is we've seen it perversed. We've seen it changed. We've seen it um, abused in our lives, authority being abused in our life, authority that comes from a desire for power and control over our lives, a, a desire for self, a desire for pride. We've seen that kind of abused in our lives, and so we naturally kind of buck up against that kind of authority, and then we place that kind of authority onto Jesus and say, I don't want that authority in my life either. I don't want to be controlled. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be abused by this. I think I know better than you, and so we buck up against Jesus's authority in our life. But Jesus Jesus's authority is infinitely different than any authority we have seen in the world today. Jesus's authority is pure. It's holy. It's driven by love. It's rooted in goodness. It's true. It's lasting. It has our best eternal interests at heart. And this is the kind of authority that brings joy and comfort and peace and direction. And we need to see in our lives that authority, rightly applied in our lives, is a blessing and not a curse. We've seen the curse of authority in our lives over and over again in different ways. We've seen the way it's been abused. But Jesus comes and puts authority in our life that is actually a blessing for us. 
that builds us up, that encourages us, that changes us, that helps us to be who he's called us to be. And so my question for us is, am I willfully, joyfully looking to Jesus to determine my path? Am I waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, where would you have me go today? What would you have me do today? What are some clear ways, Jesus, that I can obey you today? What good works have you laid out for me today that I can stand in and walk in and by your grace fulfill and be obedient to you? Where can you lead me that I will follow you today? I think too many of us look back on our day and say, whoops, I forgot you existed, Jesus. Sorry about that. Let's do better tomorrow. And I think the the thing for us again is to say, God, show me the way. Show me that a way that I reflect and follow Jesus and no other. That's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see in us. And one of the ways that we are salt and light in the world is to say, Jesus is my authority. What he says, I say. What What he does, I do because he is good and right and holy and pure. And so I'm salt and light by following Jesus's authority. So the law over our lives has authority because Jesus has authority over our lives. So he determines our path. Secondly, not only does Christ fulfill through his authority, but he fulfills through his accomplishment. There's nothing worse than a boss or an authority that says, do as I say, not as I do. There's nothing worse than someone who comes to you and says, this is the proper way. I'm the boss over you. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And then goes off and does the exact opposite of what they're telling us to do. And the perfect, the beautiful, the amazing thing about Jesus is not only does he come and to say, I am the authority over your life, but I have fulfilled, I have accomplished everything I have asked you to do. I am not asking you to do anything that I have not already done and fulfilled in my own life. We see in verses 17 through 18 here, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is making it very clear here for those who are looking at this substitute as, I've got to, I got to kind of hanker down on the law now. I got to make sure that this Jesus, this new spiritual leader understands what the law is, what the rules are, how we're supposed to live our lives. We've been doing this for generations. Jesus needs to understand this. And I want to make sure that he doesn't set this stuff aside. Jesus, knowing their hearts, says, calm down. I've not come to change anything. I've not come to abolish anything. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus' goal was clear. I'm not coming to set the law aside. I'm not coming to say that the law was worthless. I'm not saying don't worry about the law anymore. Jesus says, I am coming to fulfill it. What was lacking in the law, I am coming to fulfill. What was missing in the law, I was coming to fulfill. And this is what's surprising to me at times when we read through the Gospels and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people want to lay this title on to Jesus as lawbreaker. I mean, ultimately, that's why they thought they were crucifying him, because he was a lawbreaker, because he did things he wasn't supposed to be doing. So because he broke this law, he needs to die because he broke this law. Jesus never broke a law, never even came close to breaking a law. Jesus was very concerned about fulfilling the law and making sure that we understood what the law was for and what it meant. And so the label of lawbreaker is not one that Jesus even comes close to being able to receive. That is not him. What we see Jesus coming to do is to fill up, to fill full what was lacking in uh, the law. 
Yesterday, my family and I were coming home from a wedding, and we stopped at McDonald's on the way home, and I got a large root beer on the way home, and when he handed it to me, it was maybe two-thirds full, and it was mostly clear. And I was like, I got a root beer, and neither one of those things feel right to me. And so me being who I am, I don't like conflict, so I said thank you and drove off and pulled into the side and drank a little bit of it, and it's like, this is just straight soda water. Like, this is all that this is with a few brown drops of something in this. And so I went back in, and in those moments, like, I, I'm reminded of kind of the, what the law is for me and the law is for us, that when you fill up a root beer, what happens when you fill up a root beer? You get a whole lot of fizz at the top, right? And you think you've got a full cup at the top, but then you wait about 30 seconds, and most of that goes away. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought I had something full, and now it's all gone. And not only that, for me in that root beer yesterday, I drank it. I was like, there is clearly something missing in this. There are parts of root beer in this, but this is not the whole by any stretch of the imagination. And I went into McDonald's and got the root beer out of the thing. Same thing. Got a Coke. Same thing. Finally found some soda that I needed in that um, and finally got my thing. But I think the law is that in similar ways to us as well, too. That the law, when given to us, kind of shows at the beginning, it feels like, oh, this is what we needed right? We need kind of set of rules. We need commandments. We need someone to tell us how to live our lives. And then we fill up that cup, and then we see very quickly, wait a minute, the cup's not quite full. There's something missing here. There's parts to what we need. There's, there's essential things here that we need, but this ain't root beer. Like, this is not satisfying me. This is not quenching my thirst in any way. There's something lacking here. What Jesus comes to do is he comes to fill our cup up. He comes to fill up what was lacking in the law. He comes to replace and to to put the missing parts in to what the law was never meant to give us. Jesus fulfills the law by obeying it perfectly, by fulfilling its promises. He answers the types in the law and all the defects in the law. Every single bit of it. Jesus says here very clearly, none of this is going to pass away. Not even the smallest little mark of a word of the law is going to pass away. My law is eternal. My law is going to go on forever. And so every little bit of it, so Jesus is saying here, I'm not even relaxing a part of it. I'm not coming and saying, well, that was just a tiny thing. Don't worry about that thing. He is saying that tiny thing is as essential as everything else, and nothing is going to pass away until I have accomplished everything. Well, how does Jesus fulfill the law? He fulfills it by fulfilling the doctrinal teachings of the law, by giving us a full revelation that everything the law teaches us about God, Jesus is in fulfillment. Everything we know about God from the law, Jesus fills that up. Jesus fills in the gaps. Jesus is the expanding foam that we place into the law that fills up every single gap and makes it secure. Jesus fulfills the law by all the predictive prophecy that everything the law promised, everything the law said was going to happen, Jesus fulfills, points to those prophecies. Jesus is the reality. Everything the law says to do and not do, the moral and legal demands of the law, Jesus fulfills them perfectly. Whatever the law required, Jesus fulfilled perfectly. And Jesus not only does all of those things with the law, he also takes the penalty of the law. When the law says there is curse and penalty and there are consequences for breaking the law, who fills that up for us? Jesus does. 
Who steps in the gap for us to fulfill even the curses, even the the penalty of the law? Jesus does for us by his death and through his resurrection. You see, Jesus filled all this out through his accomplishments. Romans chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does it mean that Jesus is the end of the law? It doesn't mean he ends the law. It means he fulfills the law. What the goal of the law was, Jesus fulfills that goal perfectly. He is the end of it. He is the goal of it. He is the aim of the law. In John chapter 5 and verse 46, Jesus even says about himself, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he wrote about me. The law was ultimately about me. It was pointing to me. He is the fulfillment, the accomplishment of everything that we need to be in relationship with God. Everything that the law requires, Jesus has done. The question for us this morning is, do I trust Jesus' work? Do I truly believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to fulfill the requirements that he's established? Do I believe that he's worth it, that the promises are worth it? Do I believe that the promises are strong enough for me? That what he has done 2,000 years ago, what he's doing now for me, is it strong enough to help me to be who God has called me to be? And the question is, how do I believe this? How do I live this out in my life? How do I relate to God? Do I relate to God as one where I'm still trying to work my way into his life? Where I'm still trying to fulfill the law in my own strength? Where I'm still trying to hold up the rules so I can have some kind of control on my life? Or do I relate to God as the one who has said, well, Jesus did it for me. I don't have to do anything. I can just go on with my life as it does, as it was. When Jesus said it was finished on the cross, he meant it. The law was fulfilled. Love was fulfilled. Do I actually believe that Jesus has accomplished everything for me and by faith, trusting that what he has accomplished is for me as well? Finally, this morning, number three, Christ fulfills through our attitude. So if we believe that Jesus is the authority and we believe that Jesus has accomplished everything for us, the question we should ask then is, what's my response to that? How do I respond to that? How do I view the law in this? Verses 19 to 20. It says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is our motivation for obedience to the law? Why do we obey the law? Knowing Christ's authority over us and accomplishment, how do we respond to it? What do we do with it? Well, William Barclay says this in his commentary on Matthew. He says, this is how we kind of view the law. That reverence and respect do not consist in obeying a multitude of petty rules and regulations. They consist not in sacrifice, but in mercy. Not in legalism, but in love. Not in prohibitions, which demanded that men should not do things, but the instruction to mold their lives on the positive command of love. The reverence and respect which are the basis of the Ten Commandments, can never pass away. So how do we view the law? We view the law with reverence and respect. We view the law as reverence to God, thankfulness to God for what he has accomplished for us. And we view the law as respect, as a way to show respect and honor and love to others by obeying the law. You see, the law was meant to send us to Jesus. The law was always designed to send us to Jesus. 
But what does Jesus do when, he come, when we come to Jesus? I believe he sends us back to the law to say, this is my heart. This is how you are to live your life out. We are drawn to Jesus because of our sinfulness. And Jesus tells us out of a, a means of obedience to us, go back to the law and out of a heart that has been changed, follow it, obey it for the glory of me. It's not to be set aside. It's not to be ignored. It's to be fulfilled in the power that God gives us in Christ. We're not called to relax God's standards. We're called to teach them. We're called to obey them. Jesus is warning us here in this passage, do not lower the standards. It's not for us to lower the standards, but to raise them and to point people to obedience, both with our lives and our words. It's important for us to recognize in this that Jesus is warning those who are lowering the standards, warning those who are setting those things aside. And he's also warning those who are holding the law in too high of a standard, who are finding their, trying to find their righteousness in the law, trying to find their salvation in the law. He is warning them as well that in him and him alone is our righteousness. You see, at the end of this passage, Jesus goes on to say that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, those who had outward righteousness better than most, probably far better than most, were the Pharisees and the scribes who knew the law, who followed the law on the outward, on the outward signs, were doing everything the law commanded them to do. And now Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness is better than that, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, one way that feels crushing, because in one way you read that and you're like, well, I can't do that. Like there's, I can't keep all those rules. I can't do all of that stuff. I can't do everything that they're doing. There's all of these commandments, hundreds and hundreds of laws that you need to be kept. There's no way that I can do that. I think Jesus would agree with that and say, you're right. There's no way in quantity that you'll ever be able to do better than the Pharisees and the scribes. There's no way in quantity that you'll ever be able to do better than religious people. But Jesus isn't talking about quantity here. He's talking about quality. He's talking about the quality of our righteousness, where it is found, where it comes from, where its source is, what its motivation here is. That our source is our heart, not what's going on outside of us. That the nature of our righteousness is from Christ and not from ourselves. That the motive of our righteousness is so that the Father might be glorified, not ourselves. That the quality of our righteousness would not be in my own strength, but in the strength the Spirit gives to me. And unless my righteousness is like that, I will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What I love about this too is that Jesus says, I will give you that kind of righteousness. Follow me, trust me, place your sin on me, and I will give you that kind of righteousness. The righteousness that I have that accomplishes this, that fills it up, I will give to you so that in quality, your righteousness exceeds that of the the Pharisees and you will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus is setting up for the next several verses of how to live this out, of what it means, of what righteousness looks like, not externally, not you have heard, don't kill. And so I've never physically, technically murdered anybody. But Jesus says, well, look at your heart. Don't commit adultery. Well, I've never technically committed adultery, but in my heart, there's a lot of stuff going on that probably wouldn't honor you, God. And so Jesus is telling us there, warning us that. And what drives us in the law, in closing this morning, what drives us in the law more than anything else, how do we view the law? We view the law through the lens of love. Love drives us to obedience. 
Love for God and love for others is the way that we view the law. So when we see a law, when we see a commandment, our question is, how can I demonstrate the love of God by obeying this commandment? Not, how can I obey this commandment so that God will love me? How can I demonstrate God's love by obeying this commandment? We see in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul sums all the commandments up, basically saying, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Matthew 22, we come to Jesus and say, what's the best law? Give us the best one, Jesus. Why did they want that? I think one, to trip up Jesus, and two, they wanted to shorten their list. See, if I could just do like two things instead of 600, that would be a lot easier on my schedule um, than this. What is, God, what is Jesus' response to them? Love God, love your neighbor. It's all fulfilled in this. And so what drives us, what helps us to fulfill the law is that Christ's love through us demonstrated by loving God and loving others. And when we do that, we are fulfilling the law. Out of reverence for Christ and respect for others, am I striving to obey? How am I looking to show thankfulness to God for what he has done, blessing me in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing? How do I view obedience to Jesus? How am I responding to the authority of Jesus in my life? Am I the kid in the class looking to get away with everything I possibly can? Grace is great. Grace is free. I can do whatever I want, right? The substitute teacher is here. The law has been set aside. Grace prevails so I can do whatever I want knowing that Jesus will forgive me? Or do we grab even tighter onto the law and say, I don't want to get let loose of this. Grace feels too, too, uh, too wobbly for me. Grace doesn't feel super secure to me. What feels secure is knowing I can check off a list and knowing I've done X, Y, and Z, and because I've done this, God has loved me. Or do we see the law as an opportunity for us to say, God, I see that you've blessed me. I see that you have brought me into a relationship with you by grace through faith, and I want a way to show my thankfulness to you. I want a way to show that I love you and I'm grateful for all that you have done in my life. And so I see the law as the path to walk on to show my thankfulness, as a path to walk on to demonstrate love to others. As we kind of transition our time this morning into taking the Lord's Supper, it's, it's good for us to remember again why we take the Lord's Supper especially in light of the law, especially in light of Jesus' teaching here what the Lord's Supper is for us. It's a reminder to us that when I eat the bread and I drink the juice, that someone else accomplished something for me. That it wasn't me that kept the law. It wasn't me that paid the penalty for my breaking of the law. It was someone else. Namely, it was Jesus who did that for me. Namely, it was Jesus who fulfilled the law. And by my faith in him, by my trust in him, what he fulfilled, what he accomplished, has been placed on me. His accomplishment of the law has been placed on me. His perfect obedience to the law has been placed on me because of grace through faith. And so we eat the bread and we drink the juice as a symbol to us, as a reminder to us of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. He did this, willingly, joyfully did this. And so I eat the bread and I drink the juice and I say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. However you want me to obey, I will obey. You are the authority over my life. You are the law giver. You are the law keeper. You are the one who has done it all. I entrust this all to you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, please feel free 
take, eat, and drink when we do this together after a bit. Worship the Lord through it. Be reminded of the truth of the gospel this morning. If you're a believer this morning and you know there's something in your heart, that you know that there's a thing that Jesus is telling you to do or not do, and you're doing that thing, and you just don't want to change. You're just not willing yet to set that thing aside. We, we ask simply that you take this time and pray and seek the Lord's face and allow the Lord's Supper to pass by. If you've not yet surrendered to the authority of Jesus in your life, if you've not yet trusted in his work on the cross for you yet, and we ask that you let the Lord's Supper pass as you think about everything that we just talked about this morning and prayerfully give your life to Jesus. If you have kids this, this morning and they're following Jesus, let them take the Lord's Supper in line with repentance. Enjoy that with them. If you have kids this morning who are not yet believers, tell them why you're doing what you're doing, why you're eating that bread, why you're drinking that juice. Share the gospel with them in this moment. We're going to sing this song. The elements will be passed out, and then we'll take it together in just a moment.